Chapter One of Practical Mysticism by Evelyn Underhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carla Arnell, Lake Forest, Illinois. Chapter One What is Mysticism? Those who are interested in that special attitude towards the universe which is now loosely called mystical find themselves beset by a multitude of persons who are constantly asking, some with real fervor, some with curiosity, and some with disdain, what is mysticism? When referred to the writings of the mystics themselves, and to other works in which this question appears to be answered, these people reply that such books are wholly incomprehensible to them. On the other hand, the genuine inquirer will find before long a number of self-appointed apostles who are eager to answer his question in many strange and inconsistent ways, calculated to increase rather than resolve the obscurity of his mind. He will learn that mysticism is a philosophy, an illusion, a kind of religion, a disease, that it means having visions, performing conjuring tricks, leading an idle, dreamy, and selfish life, neglecting one's business, wallowing in vague spiritual emotions, and being in tune with the infinite. He will discover that it emancipates him from all dogmas, sometimes from all morality, and at the same time that it is very superstitious. One expert tells him that it is simply Catholic piety, another that Walt Whitman was a typical mystic, a third assures him that all mysticism comes from the East, and supports his statement by an appeal to the mango trick. At the end of a prolonged course of lectures, sermons, tea parties, and talks with earnest persons, the inquirer is still heard saying, too often in tones of exasperation, what is mysticism? I dare not pretend to solve a problem which has provided so much good hunting in the past. It is indeed the object of this little essay to persuade the practical man to the one satisfactory course, that of discovering the answer for himself. Yet perhaps it will give confidence if I confess pairs to cover all the ground, or at least all that part of the ground which is worth covering. It will hardly stretch to the mango trick, but it finds room at once for the visionaries and the philosophers, for Walt Whitman and the saints. Here is the definition. Mysticism is the art of union with reality. The mystic is a person who has attained that union in greater or less degree, or who aims at and believes in such attainment. It is not expected that the inquirer will find great comfort in this sentence when first it meets his eye. The ultimate question, what is reality, a question perhaps which never occurred to him before, is already forming in his mind, and he knows that it will cause him infinite distress. Only a mystic can answer it, and he, in terms which other mystics alone will understand. Therefore, for the time being, the practical man may put it on one side. All that he is asked to consider now is this, that the word union represents not so much a rare and unimaginable operation as something which he is doing 
in a vague imperfect fashion at every moment of his conscious life and doing with intensity and thoroughness in all the more valid moments of that life we know a thing only by uniting with it by assimilating it by an interpenetration of it and ourselves it gives itself to us just in so far as we give ourselves to it and it is because our outflow towards things is usually so perfunctory and so languid that our comprehension of things is so perfunctory and languid too the great sufi who said that pilgrimage to the place of the wise is to escape the flame of separation spoke the literal truth wisdom is the fruit of communion ignorance the inevitable portion of those who keep themselves to themselves and stand apart judging analyzing the things which they have never truly known because he has surrendered himself to it united with it the patriot knows his country the artist knows the subject of his art the lover his beloved the saint his god in a manner which is inconceivable as well as unattainable by the looker-on real knowledge since it always implies an intuitive sympathy more or less intense is far more accurately suggested by the symbols of touch and taste than by those of hearing and sight true analytic thought follows swiftly upon the contact the apprehension the union and we in our muddle-headed way have persuaded ourselves that this is the essential part of knowledge that it is in fact more important to cook the hare than to catch it but when we get rid of this illusion and go back to the more primitive activities through which our mental kitchen gets its supplies we see that the distinction between mystic and non-mystic is not merely that between the rationalist and the dreamer between intellect and intuition the question which divides them is really this what out of the mass of material offered to it shall consciousness seize upon with what aspects of the universe shall it unite it is notorious that the operations of the average human consciousness unite the self not with things as they really are but with images notions aspects of things the verb to be which he uses so lightly does not truly apply to any of the objects amongst which the practical man supposes himself to dwell for him the hair of reality is always ready jugged he conceives not the living lovely wild swift-moving creature which has been sacrificed in order that he may be fed on the deplorable dish which he calls things as they really are so complete indeed is the separation of his consciousness from the facts of being that he feels no sense of loss he is happy enough understanding garnishing assimilating the carcass from which the principle of life and growth has been ejected and whereof only the most digestible portions have been retained he is not mystical but sometimes it is suggested to him that his knowledge is not quite so thorough as he supposed 
philosophers in particular have a way of pointing out its clumsy and superficial character of demonstrating the fact that he habitually mistakes his own private sensations for qualities inherent in the mysterious objects of the external world from those few qualities of color size texture and the rest which his mind has been able to register and classify he makes a label which registers the sum of his own experiences this he knows with this he unites for it is his own creature it is neat flat unchanging with edges well defined a thing one can trust he forgets the existence of other conscious creatures provided with their own standards of reality yet the sea as the fish feels it the borage as the bee sees it the intricate sounds of the hedgerow as heard by the rabbit the impact of light on the eager face of the primrose the landscape as known in its vastness to the woodlouse and ant all these experiences denied to him forever have just as much claim to the attribute of being as his own partial and subjective interpretations of things because mystery is horrible to us we have agreed for the most part to live in a world of labels to make of them the current coin of experience and ignore their merely symbolic character the infinite gradation of values which they misrepresent we simply do not attempt to unite with reality but now and then that symbolic character is suddenly brought home to us some great emotion some devastating visitation of beauty love or pain lifts us to another level of consciousness and we are aware for a moment of the difference between the neat collection of discrete objects and experiences which we call the world and the height the depth the breadth of that living growing changing fact of which thought life and energy are parts and in which we live and move and have our being then we realize that our whole life is enmeshed in great and living forces terrible because unknown even the power which lurks in every coal scuttle shines in the electric lamp pants in the motor omnibus declares itself in the ineffable wonders of reproduction and growth is supersensual we do but perceive its results the more sacred plane of life and energy which seems to be manifested in the forces we call spiritual and emotional in love anguish ecstasy adoration is hidden from us too symptoms appearances are all that our intellects can discern sudden irresistible inroads from it all that our hearts can apprehend the material for an intenser life a wider sharper consciousness a more profound understanding of our own existence lies at our gates but we are separated from it we cannot assimilate it except in abnormal moments we hardly know that it is we now begin to attach at least a fragmentary meaning to the statement that mysticism is the art of union with reality 
we see that the claim of such a poet as whitman to be a mystic lies in the fact that he has achieved a passionate communion with deeper levels of life than those with which we usually deal has thrust past the current notion to the fact that the claim of such a saint as teresa is bound up with her declaration that she has achieved union with the divine essence itself the visionary is a mystic when his vision mediates to him an actuality beyond the reach of the senses the philosopher is a mystic when he passes beyond thought to the pure apprehension of truth the active man is a mystic when he knows his actions to be a part of a greater activity blake plotinus joan of arc and john of the cross there is a link which binds all these together but if he is to make use of it the inquirer must find that link for himself all four exhibit different forms of the working of the contemplative consciousness a faculty which is proper to all men though few take the trouble to develop it their attention to life has changed its character sharpened its focus and as a result they see some a wilder landscape some a more brilliant more significant more detailed world than that which is apparent to the less educated less observant vision of common sense the old story of eyes and no eyes is really the story of the mystical and unmystical types. No eyes has fixed his attention on the fact that he is obliged to take a walk. For him, the chief factor of existence is his own movement along the road, a movement which he intends to accomplish as efficiently and comfortably as he can. He asks not to know what may be on either side of the hedges, he ignores the caress of the wind until it threatens to remove his hat. He trudges along steadily, diligently, avoiding the muddy pools, but oblivious of the light which they reflect. Eyes takes the walk, too, and for him it is a perpetual revelation of beauty and wonder. The sunlight inebriates him, the winds delight him, the very effort of the journey is a joy magic presences throng the roadside or cry salutations to him from the hidden fields the rich world through which he moves lies in the foreground of his consciousness and it gives up new secrets to him at every step no eyes when told of his adventures usually refuses to believe that both have gone by the same road he fancies that his companion has been floating about in the air or beset by agreeable hallucinations we shall never persuade him to the contrary unless we persuade him to look for himself therefore it is to a practical mysticism that the practical man is here invited to a training of his latent faculties a bracing and brightening of his languid consciousness an emancipation from the fetters of appearance a turning of his attention to new levels of the world thus he may become aware of the universe which the spiritual artist is always trying to disclose to the race this amount of mystical perception this ordinary contemplation as the specialists call it 
is possible to all men. Without it, they are not wholly conscious, nor wholly alive. It is a natural human activity, no more involving the great powers and sublime experiences of the mystical saints and philosophers than the ordinary enjoyment of music involves the special creative powers of the great musician. As the beautiful does not exist for the artist and poet alone, though these can find in it more poignant depths of meaning than other men, so the world of reality exists for all, and all may participate in it, unite with it according to their measure and to the strength and purity of their desire. For heaven ghostly, says the cloud of a knowing, is as nigh down as up, and up as down, behind as before, before as behind, on one side as other, inasmuch that whoso had a true desire for to be at heaven, then that same time he were in heaven ghostly. For the high and the next way thither is run by desires, and not by paces of feet." None, therefore, is condemned, save by his own pride, sloth, or perversity, to the horrors of that which Blake called single vision, perpetual and undivided attention to the continuous cinematograph performance, which the mind has conspired with the senses to interpose between ourselves and the living world. End of chapter 1 Recorded by Carla Arnell, Lake Forest, Illinois.